0: Well, good evening again, everyone. Kelly, thank you. Worship team, thank you. I like the different vibe and the different look, and I like that Mr. John hopped in on that bass. It really is important that we gather together and lift high the name of Jesus. That the name of Jesus might be a banner under which we live and move and have our being, that the name of Jesus gives shape to our lives no matter what we face. So we come together every week and we remind each other of good news. We don't ignore the bad news, but we say that good news will outlive and outlast the darkness. And so last week... We looked in 1 Peter. It's a letter toward the back of your Bible, and I invite you to turn there. If you have that one in the seat back in front of you, you got one on your phone. It's toward the end, and it's, it says 1 Peter, but it's 1 Peter. And it's a letter attributed to the one called Rock. Simon Rock. Peter, the foundation and he gives us a foundation right at the beginning of this letter. It's a staggering, powerful intro, and we looked at it last week. You remember that in one long sentence that comprises our English verses 3 to 9, he comes out rocking and rolling. But even before that long sentence, right there in the dear Christians scattered around Modern-day Turkey, I want to remind you who you are. And so what we looked at last week was that we, who are those that have said yes to Jesus, we believe and lift high His name. We believe good news and light and life and love will outlive and outlast the darkness. We have seen something of Jesus in his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. And we say, we want in on that. I'm going to hitch my wagon of my life to that. Once you say yes to Jesus, you're born, you're swept in to God's new creation. And so Peter comes in on this introduction that we looked at last week that speaks of how we're born into a new identity. When the world gives you all these other options to say, this is who you are, you're not good enough, you'll never amount to anything, no, no, no. You are chosen, set apart for him. You have a new identity. And we say, man, but this world is so difficult. There's no way things are gonna get better. Because no, 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 you've been born into a living hope. It's living, breathing, it's not dead. Yes, these words are old, but it's just as new and vibrant now as it was then. It's living, breathing, breathing possibility into dead ends. It's a living hope you're born into. Why? Because Jesus was raised and he'll never die again. And if we're in him in some mysterious way, our life is safe and secure, which is why he goes on to say, finally, that we're born into a heavenly inheritance. It's shielded, kept safe, it's waiting in the wings. We're on the stage of life, running around, going to work, paying bills, eating jack-in-the-box. And waiting just off stage is new creation, renewal, restoration, heaven itself, that will one day come and rush in to renew all things. So he says, because all this in this intro keep that deep in your heart because you're gonna go through it. Life is gonna knock you sideways. But if you hold on to your identity and your hope and your inheritance, you can live to face another day. So there's more to be explored, I think, in this passage in light of the terrible events of Around this time last week, I feel that way because in our neighborhood groups, we were still trying to move a new identity and a living hope and a heavenly inheritance. Listen, from theory and something to preach about and read about, we're trying to move it from theory to practice, embodied. Can I keep going even though it's dark? So there's more to be explored, and this question needs to be asked. Can hope help us in the present? Hope is necessarily future, right? I hope I have Chipotle tonight. Even though I said jack-in-the-box, a Chipotle taco is different but better than a jack-in-the-box taco. I hope in the future I can convince my wife and all these kids we have tonight to go to Chipotle. I hope it's future. And that hope informs my present. And this is a silly way of saying a hard and heavy thing. Can this kind of hope we talked about last week really actually make a lick of difference in our present tense? So if you don't like what follows in the next few minutes, go back and listen to last week's sermon. It's about the same passage that I'm going to read to you now. But this evening, we're going to explore this again, and we're going to ask this question, can hope help? Can hope help in our present state? So listen to these words, and we're going to pay more attention to the end than we did last week. But let's start in verse 1 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered, scattered, throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's like saying from Denton to DeSoto and Terrell to Fort Worth. That's what he's saying. Here, there, and everywhere, all you have been scattered. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying, that's the holy-making work of the Spirit, To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Sanctified, set apart. That's your identity. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now begins a long sentence in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept. Remember? It's kept in heaven for you. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until that coming of salvation. Waiting in the wings, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in all this, you can rejoice Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Can I get an amen? Amen. But you see, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, your faith that's of greater worth than gold, and gold which perishes even though it's refined by fire, This may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus Christ, you know, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not now see him, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We read it last week. We read it this week the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God, can hope help us in the present tense. There are two ends of the religious spectrum that give us a response to pain, struggle, suffering, evil. I think two ends of the religious spectrum have been offered to humanity. Two of them are these. The first is this, life is suffering. This is the first noble truth of Buddhism. The second is, everything is awesome. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. This, of course, is the first tenet of Lego movie Christianity. How many of you have seen the great first Lego movie? If you haven't, get after it. It's worth it. I don't care if you're older than 10 years old. It is powerful. It's awesome. Everything is awesome is the song that is a sort of unofficial anthem for Bricksburg, the place that the action of the movie originates. Everybody sings it. Everything is awesome. And we're going to talk more about it in a minute. But first, I want to return to that life Is suffering. How many of you have heard this before? If you've been familiar with Buddhism. Now, here's the deal Buddhism has four noble truths. And just like Christianity, there are different sects and teachings and denominations, but the four noble truths of Buddhism are foundational principles agreed upon by every branch, all schools. And noble truths is not a great English translation. It's really like truths for the noble. Truths for people who get it. People like Buddha who have transcended and understood life is suffering. And thus Americans or those who live in Bricksburg and Legoland go, that is rough. Life is suffering. That word suffering is a sort of, of unhappiness, dissatisfaction. Life is unpleasant. It's unsatisfying. And you just need to know that this is the baseline experience for every human being in existence. Life is suffering. One end of the religious spectrum. So when bad things happen, you're told it comes with the dinner. You order life And it comes with the side of suffering and unhappiness. Life is suffering. The first noble truth of Buddhism. One end of the religious spectrum when it comes to the hard stuff of life. But then on the other side, we have everything is awesome. And that song has some lyrics that sound like this. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Everything is awesome when you're living out a dream. That sounds great. Let's hear some verses. Have you heard the news? Everyone's talking. Life is good because everything's awesome. Lost my job. That's a new opportunity. More free time for my awesome community. Stepped in mud. Now I got brown shoes. It's awesome to win and it's awesome to lose the word of Lego for the people of. I'm sorry, sorry. Everything is awesome. Lego movie Christianity takes all the hard stuff of life and watch, minimize it. It's a refusal to name that I didn't want brown shoes when I stepped in mud. Sure, I've got free time, but I also like to have a job to eat. It's a refusal to name suffering, loss, and evil. It's a refusal to look it in the eye and say, you stink. Everything is not awesome. But you can see why it's an anthem that everybody in Bricksburg loves to sing because it's easier to swallow. Turn that frown upside down. The problem is it never reckons with the fact that sometimes we're just going to have to frown. Now, now, It's true that Peter, James, and Paul, those in the New Testament say, Rejoice when you suffer. Did anybody just hear that in 1 Peter? James says, count it, joy when you go through trials. And we sit there and scratch our head and it sounds like you're singing Lego movie Christianity. But what Paul and Peter and James is actually teaching is something that holds both of these truths together in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Something that I would like to call living hope Christianity. I'm gonna drop another movie on you. What's the Spider-Man movie where he's trying to stop the train, that famous image? Was that the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Help me out, Keith. He's got one web hand here Whatever, man. The other web hand over there, and he's holding so tight. These are opposing forces. That's why I didn't put this in the stinking outline. Last week, I forgot my outline, and it went way better. Go back and listen to last week's sermon, okay? But for now, let's explore again this living hope Christianity that's holding the two like Spider-Man. But better than Spider-Man what we see is a resounding tradition in the Psalms of God that say, where are you? This stinks, but I'm still going to trust in you. We just sang a modern day lament psalm. When you don't move the mountains, when you don't do what I ask, when life looks like Buddhism suffering, I will trust in you. It's not everything is awesome and I love my brown shoes. It's Even in the midst of the valley, I'll believe that you're with me and that you're going to get me through. And I see that even the risen Jesus, who's the anchor of our living hope, has the scars of death. There's something about the tension of saying, yes, there is suffering. And yes, everything will be awesome. But I still have to go through death and darkness But living hope Christianity doesn't ignore suffering. It looks it straight in the eye. It doesn't ignore violence. It looks it straight in the eye. And it says, you don't get the last word. This is how hope helps us in the present. The alternative is When facing crucifixion, when facing abandonment, when facing illness, when facing loss, when facing abandonment and struggle, we remember that Jesus models the tension by saying, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Listen, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome The world. Living Hope Christianity gives us reasons to sing. And that's one way that hope helps us in the present. That I may be feeling loss and pain, and it is not awesome, but I trust that loss and pain has an expiration date and that He really will make all things new. Last week, we saw that a living hope breathes possibility into dead ends, peace into anxiety, praise into sorrow. A living hope is active and adaptive in the varied terrain of life. I need you to understand that if life is suffering, isn't working for you. If everything is awesome, isn't working for you. A living hope looks suffering in the face and says, but... Death and sickness will be defeated and every tear will be wiped away. A living hope works when everything is awesome just as well as it does when everything is not awesome. It's active and adaptive, breathing life as you walk through the valley as well as the green pastures because a living hope is anchored in Jesus, our good shepherd. This is why Peter says what he says in the first chapter You can rejoice even though you're getting beat up and smacked in the mouth. And they say, why? Because your faith is getting refined and tested. I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation called The Message. Kristen read this in our group on Wednesday. And it breathed life into that complicated section of verses. And I think it really captures what Peter is getting at. In this, you can rejoice because God is forming you and with you through it. Listen to how he says it. I know how great this makes you feel. Even though you've had to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime, pure gold put into the fire comes out of it proved pure. So genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, It's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. Isn't that powerful? When you take a raw life, like a raw mineral like gold, and you put it through the fire, it burns up all the extra and it distills what's really the essence and what's really important. Is it difficult and hot and brutal? Yes. And in the same way, faith that's put through the fire of suffering, it comes out proved genuine because you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I believed when it was good, now I know I can trust him when it's bad. I think that there's something That's a misunderstanding I want to talk about for about 60 seconds. Raise your hand if you've heard the phrase, I know God doesn't give me more than I can handle. Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you if you think that that's a verse in the Bible. And some of you think, I think so. And you would be half right. Because in the Corinthian letters, Paul says that God will never give you more temptation than you can handle. He's always going to provide a way out when someone tempts you into veering off the course. When someone tempts you to partake of this or act out like that, he will never give you a temptation that you can't handle, that you can't get up and out. That you can't take your keys and say, I don't like where this party's headed, and you go. What the Bible does not say is that God won't give you more than you can handle. We have Jesus bleeding and sweating in the garden, saying, I don't think I can handle this. Please let this cup pass from me. No? Okay, I guess I'm going to have to do this. But what does Jesus say? Not my will, but yours. We sang this tonight. When God is with you in the midst of suffering, say to him, I can't handle this. And allow God to whisper to you, like perhaps he did to Jesus in the garden, I know you can't, but that's why I'm here. Of course you can't handle it. We can't handle what we saw last week. I can't handle the fact that that was the 199th one. That there's been more mass shootings than days of the year. I can't handle that. I can hardly handle sending my kids off to school. I can't handle that in the city of Garland. We just passed a billion dollar plus bond to make sure that there's shatterproof, bulletproof glass in the front and protective fence around our campuses. I can't handle that. I'll tell you, I surely can't handle what probably some of these families are bearing this week as they recover. And so we hold intention that suffering has come home to roost and everything is not awesome. So can hope help us lean in and say... I can't handle this, but God has given us a community and a savior to walk with us through it and to shoulder that burden that we can't bear alone. There's this ancient Japanese art form called kintsugi. If this looks familiar to you, you've seen it, but I want to remind you that it's not just Painted on. Kintsugi, you may be familiar, is the art form of mending broken pottery, and the word literally means to join with gold. The pottery breaks and shatters, and the fragments are then carefully glued with tree sap. And it's set to dry, and then it's adorned with gold. In the cracks. There's gold that somehow takes what's broken and makes it more beautiful. It's a process that could take up to three months. And I think there's something about that three months of sitting with brokenness and trying to mend it that teaches the artist to approach brokenness with patience and care. I'm sorry. Did you hear that? Approach brokenness with patience and care. People in our community are not problems to be fixed. They're people to be loved. Your community, your friends that are suffering and struggling aren't projects to be just glued back and say everything is awesome. There's something about patience and care And it reveals to us that something can be beautifully restored on the other side of brokenness. What does that look like in a life? Richard Rohr gives us a pattern of transformation that we see in all the great stories of religion. There's order. Things are good. And you're singing things like, everything is awesome. Nothing can go wrong because I have an answer for everything. Everything. But what happens is you're good and safe and solid simplicity in the system. And everything is awesome. Change is to be avoided. Explanations are easy. The universe is tidy and predictable. Everything is awesome. And this is probably how you felt when you first said yes to Jesus. And everything was grand and good. And then guess what? Life happens. Disorder. Disorder. Order, the cracks emerge, suffering, loss, evil. And listen, disorder in every story, whether it's Harry Potter, Lego movie, or Spider-Man, is a catalyst for change. It's not good, we don't like it, it's not awesome. But you can choose to say, even in this, I'm going to keep going because if this is the end of my story, that's a terrible story. But disorder can be a catalyst for change. The problem is is that it's a catalyst for so many that leads to cynicism, anger, and rage. If you live permanently in disorder, God, you're not good, and you start to tear apart the puzzle. If you permanently live with your jigsaw pieces of your faith, your hope, your trust scattered amongst the floor, you will find yourself in the end... In a state of despair. So hope comes in and says, could this be a catalyst toward a better story? And so those who listen push through. You see, there is no shortcut to reorder of your faith or your life. There's no one-way ticket bullet train to reorder. You want to try to get around it. You want to try to go under it. You want to try to avoid it. Listen, there is only through. And Jesus modeled that there is only through the cross that we get to resurrection. There is only through death that he and we get to eternal life. The story of the Bible, from Exodus to exile to promised land, from the cross to death to resurrection, from creation and its good to fall and sin to new creation, is always one that goes through darkness. And somehow, like our faith tested through gold, something beautiful comes out on the other side. The outcome, listen, is beyond order. You had the answer to everything in the easy, cheesy Christianity. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, God won't give me more than I can handle. Oh, he's in a better place right now. Reorder says, God has given us too much, but he's with us and we're together. God has brought this person into his care and he is in a better place. But the sting of death stings now. it's, It's terrible. Reorder says there's something about the cracks that includes and transcends the easy answers of life is suffering and everything is awesome. Because through darkness and disorder, through death, we can see that resurrection is available to us and that hope can help us on our journey through it now can hope help where are you in your story of order disorder and reorder where are you when the cracks in your carefully held systems of how America and the world ought to be squared away gets a little bit disordered Where are you when your view of God is such that it can't weather the storm? Well, let me close with two brief invitations for you to help you on your way through. This is what I want to leave you with. The first invitation I want to invite you to that I think is part of what Peter is getting at here and in the rest of his letter it is to lean hard into community. I've heard this phrase, but I can't tell who originated it. Community is a buffer for trauma. Did you see the human impulse in Alan to place crosses and flowers and remembrances? I heard someone on the news who is just a community volunteer who was there to show up and tend that place and make sure that. People knew there was a place they could come. And she said, they offer these things to let others know I was here. I was thinking of you. I am broken with you. There's a human impulse to reach out. But understand this, community doesn't happen by accident. Our togetherness has to be cultivated. Our church, one of the things I love about it, we're almost eight years old, is the neighborhood church. And man, the thing that I always told people when they say, well, you're little. I said, yeah, but we know each other. And, and there's something about getting a taste for someone to call. There's something about being known when you're not there. There's something about... Playing dominoes till three o'clock in the morning, like you knuckleheads did a couple months ago at my house. There's something about this. And then COVID came and it brought a whole mess of disorder. And we're in the reorder phase, and you gotta know that it takes intention. Check in on each other, pray for one another, put this in your back pocket. When you're driving and someone pops into your head, take it the next step and say a two sentence prayer. When I'm driving down Garland Road and I'm driving by where Pat lives, God bless Pat. When you're going to Chipotle later tonight and I had to go to Jack in the Box, say, God help Adam. (laughs) It's cultivated with intention. There are a hundred times when the New Testament says one another. Our faith is meant to be lived in community and it's cultivated with intention. The second invitation is to hold tight to Jesus and what you know is true. I love the way that Peter concludes that sentence. You've never seen him, but you love him. You don't see him now, but you believe in him. And so faith, listen, is not at all a synonym for certainty. You might not see it because this projector stinks, but faith does not equal certainty. Quite the opposite. Faith is believing in spite of seeing. Faith equals trust. I trust that my friend is going to pick me up even though he's late and not answering my calls. But I know him well enough to know he wouldn't bail on me without something else I'm not completely aware of. But I trust that he's going to show up and he's going to bring me to where I need to be. I've never seen Jesus, but I've seen enough to know that he will bring me through the other side of death. Faith is not certainty. Faith is trust. And hope can help when we lean on one another and we lean on Jesus and say, I can't prove a thing, but there's something about you that dares me and compels me to go through to the other side. So finally, I want to close with this thought. Pastor Greg Boyd in the Twin Cities, who is um, a preacher, theologian, author, shared something years ago after a traumatic event in their city, and it involved the loss of life, of children. And it was deeply affecting him and their community. And he was holding this through tears before God. And he fell asleep. He went to bed that night and had a dream. And in his dream, he saw a playground. And he saw children running and laughing, going up and down slides and back and forth on swings, playing tag. And as he was beholding this dream, with his tears still dried on his cheek from earlier in the day, he says in his dream he began to see a figure in and amongst the playground and it was a figure that he perceived as Jesus. And in the dream he locked eyes with the figure of Jesus, who of course we've never seen And he locks eyes with Jesus, and he just had this sense when he woke up that Jesus was conveying to him in that dream, in that space. He believes that Jesus was saying, I will make it up to them. And I've said this story before, and it gets me every time. Because I've never seen that kind of playground. And I've never seen Jesus. But I've seen enough. To believe some preacher's dream because it looks and feels like the Jesus that walks with us and gives us a living hope. I can't prove a thing and I can't show you a Bible verse except when I wipe away our tears and say, I really am making all things new. And I don't know if it's a playground, but I trust that because Jesus was raised, that he will make it up to those who are suffering and struggling. And it's that hope that is breathing life into our community the more we open ourselves to it. God, thank you for the words we have in 1st Peter. I pray that you would move it from theory to practice to our bodies. That what sounds right and true, whatever that may be tonight, would help us when we need it to lean into you and others through Jesus Christ, our King and Lord. Amen. Amen.
1: May our Lord reveal to us as a heavenly father and a mother in God. Encourage us to share in the joy and the work of cultivating healthy, peaceful communities that seek, see, and create space for the outcast as we build our lives upon the firm foundation of Jesus and His gospel. May the Spirit of God open our hearts to reach out to our neighbors in charity and acceptance as we find each imperfect person beloved, called, and worthy of the blessing of God. May our gracious God, beyond our understanding, yet deep within our hearts, protect us in the tender yet powerful embrace of divine love, which nurtures us moment by moment and from age to age. Amen. Go in peace.